Hello and welcome aboard this island nation, the Maritime Programme. Tom McSweeney here with the programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. On this edition, the story of two determined young Irish sailors, one from County Meath, the other from Mayo, who are taking on the top world sailors in the very tough sport of racing alone in the offshore seas. One of them, a descendant of Ireland's pirate queen, Grace O'Malley, Granuail. My granny was an, an O'Malley and we are, we just looked this up, I'm trying to say it in the most succinct way possible, and that is Grace O'Malley's grandparents were my 17-time great-grandparents. Joan Molloy from Westport and a bit of philosophy now from her racing colleague Tom Dolan from County Meath. After a not-so-good finish in the tough French Figaro race into Irish waters. It was a bit tough on the old morale, but I suppose these things happen in it. I suppose it's when a... Uh... When the successful day will come, I suppose it'll be all that more better, won't it? This Island Nation is Ireland's maritime radio programme, a reflective radio show about the sea coming to you from the studios of CRY 104FM in Yol on the East Cork coastline and bringing together through the community radio network the maritime community around Ireland. The fishing row about Rockall has been making news and at least the national media has been taking an interest in the Irish industry. The controversy is an important issue for the industry, as is Ireland's refusal to recognise British claims on Rockall, an uninhabitable rock which, under the United Nations Law of the Sea, means that it cannot be used for declaring territorial rights. Politically and diplomatically, it is a major test for government resolve because it cannot now back down to Scottish threats. Two Irish sailors who are not backing down in the face of adversity are 33-year-old Joan Molloy from Westport in County Mayo and 32-year-old Tom Dolan from County Meath. They're professional sailors and involved in the very tough world of sailing alone in solo offshore racing. As you listen to this programme, they are at sea, racing across 545 nautical miles from Kinsale in County Cork to Roscoff in Brittany in the second leg, that's the second race in the French Figaro series, recognised as the unofficial championship of solo offshore racing, which is over a total 2,130 nautical mile course taking a month to complete. They had a difficult time on the first leg, 550 nautical miles from France, where sailing is a huge sport, into Kinsale. Tom had been in the top six of the 47-boat fleet for a while, but dropped at 39th at the finish. Joan had to retire and motored to the finish. I met him in Kinsale, where the race had stopped over. The organisers have provided each competitor with new boats, which, in addition to the traditional keel, have foils that raise them out of the water, a new technological development. It means less contact between the hull and the water and can make boats go faster. Offshore is alone and is tough. And it's not alone the racing itself, but also raising enough money and sponsorship to compete internationally. So, why have they chosen such a career? Tom had a thoughtful answer. It is, yeah, it's a good question. How did I first get into it? Uh, I suppose because I started off kind of 
working in sailing through Glenans was a, a, a volunteer. I went along as a volunteer. It was a voluntary organisation in, in Baltimore County Cork. And they were overseen, I suppose, by a French company called Lidl Leno. And they offered me a job over there in Brittany for seven or eight years ago. That kind of got me to Brittany, and then I saw these boats and kind of said, Jesus, I wouldn't mind it. It's a very tough business. It is, yeah, tough enough, all right, yeah. Like anything, I suppose it's going to be. Has good days and bad days. <laughs> Joan, what started you in it? Um, well, I started sailing when I was younger in, in Mayo Sailing Club at home in Westport in County Mayo. That's where I'm from. And so just doing the kind of junior sailing course with my cousins. And so that's when I started sailing. And then as I got a bit older, kind of moved up into bigger boats and then did the Round Ireland race. Um, and that was my first big taste of offshore sailing, I suppose. And I really loved it. I really loved the other aspects it brought to the sport, you know, kind of the adventure aspect, being out there by yourself, you know, having to live on the boat for days at a time and manage yourself and that it really that's really what um, captured my imagination about offshore sailing. Now your boat is named after the Pirate Queen. You actually have a relationship. Yeah, I my granny was an, an O'Malley and we are we just looked this up, I've tried to say it in the most succinct way possible, and that is Grace O'Malley's grandparents were my seventeen time great grandparents. <laughs> well, it's a proud connection. Sponsorship is difficult to get now, and being in professional racing, you need sponsorship. Um, it's it's uh, you're very lucky to get any sponsorship, and I'm really lucky to have Grace and Mally Whiskey on board this year, and still stay inside all of the sporting and alcohol laws. Using the link with me, and, and my story, and the link with the Grace O'Malley. You had a tough leg into Kinsale. Yeah, I had a really tough leg. Um, I yeah, didn't I? There was lots of di- lots of different things going on the boat, and one of the things was I, I'd bit of a couldn't see any of the boats. You can see all the other boats in your instruments, and I couldn't see anybody, so I didn't really know where I was. And actually, while it might it was very tough at the end, but for the whole race, I thought I was completely last. I was so far behind that I couldn't even see anybody. So for me, actually, since I've got to shore and I've looked back at the tracker, and people have said, "Oh, well done, you made some good choices there." And I've been like, oh, I, oh, really, did I? Oh, that's good to know. So it's actually nice to look back on the track and see there was moments where I was, I was in touch and I did stay in touch. Um, so for me, I've, I've had, even while it was, it was tough at the time, um, probably the hardest bit for me was the very end because as I arrived at the Fastnet Rock, the wind died down completely, completely to nothing and the fleet was already a few hours ahead of me. So it didn't make any sense for me to continue so I actually abandoned the race there and just motored into Kinsale so that was really tough because you never want to do that you know you're always you know your whole life is all about completing this race and that's what you build up to do so that process of saying actually I'm going to have to abandon this leg that's really that's I find that really hard to, to deal with doesn't put you off though no and you can't I suppose that again like you spend your whole life working towards doing this so you can't really let one thing put you off you know maybe lots and lots of things if they all go wrong it might start to put me off but you know that's part of the training and is to be able to deal with the good and the bad you know so you have to have a have to have some kind of structure in your head for dealing with it when it goes bad and tom you were also doing very well at the outset we were reporting you up to top six great hopes but again the fickleness of sailing dash the fickle winds as they say um, yeah, I suppose I'd one of those typical problems where at, some, at one stage I had to decide to go east or west and I went west which was the wrong way which the fleet more or less split in half and those on the west were on the wrong way and those on the east were the right way so I kind of got hit very hard at the end 
which is a bit was a bit tough on the old morale. But I suppose these things happen. In it. I suppose when a, when 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 the successful day will come, I suppose it'll be all that more better, won't it? I suppose bittersweet. How are the new Figaro threes, the falling boats going? Grand jet are a bit wet, a bit humid. <laughs> a bit wetter than the other things. A bit more interesting. Uh, there's a lot, bit more diff- more sails to choose from than the last boat. They're faster, I suppose. They have the foils, which do come into play quite a bit because you have to tune that. Also, you're not just thinking about the wind over the sails, but the water over the foils. And then, apart from that, everyone has the same one, and everyone is starting off from scratch. So, no one really has a head start on experience on the boats because we all got them at the same time. So, it makes things a lot more interesting on the water in a way. So. No, professional sailing is tough. You need sponsorship as well. You've moved, you're in France, which is really the, the centre of international racing. Is it tough to interest Irish people, Irish companies in supporting your efforts? I think for the time being it is, but um, it's true that it's a lot easier in France. But at the, ta- at the same time being, I suppose the, the world has changed a little bit. Back, back a few, day, few years ago, you would have had to rely on maybe getting an article in the newspaper or something on the television, but less and less people watch television, less and less people read newspapers, so everything is digital, so more different sorts of sports like sailing and things are a lot more accessible to people who may have an interest in them but never had access to them before. Like I remember being small, the only way I ever saw sailing was on TG Car. I remember they used to have the Volvo Ocean Race in, in Irish and like that was the only sort of contact I had with it. So like there's, nowadays if anyone wants to look at it and see what's saying, just Google it and they have it straight away. So. It was Smart Cap are an Irish company but it was, or who are also massively based in France and they're in the process of setting off on a sort of a journey which is called Better Planet Packaging. The idea of which is to, to, to sort out the way we look at packaging and the, the, because most of it ends up in the seas. And in a way, I'm kind of like their, 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 to call it their, their man on the, on the front line out there. See, and <laughs> being the in the front line, you're, you'll be off again in a few days from here. You're, not, you're still determined as ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially we're in the race mode, you know, so we're kind of, it's only like we're taking a break. And if you think about it, because we both of us have had a very bad finish it's a chance to restart again where we'll all be with the other boats he's encouraged Joan he's determined you two are and you're even talking about the Vendée Globe yeah yeah well I think lots of um, lots of solo sailors you know that that would be that's the dream and I think for in the context of selling the the sponsorship story in Ireland you know the, the Vendée Globe people can people can grasp that as a goal you know people can kind of understand right so you want to sail solo around the world whereas while the solitaire Ergo Le Figaro is also a really important race, I think it's a little bit harder to to explain that to maybe a non-sailing public, if you will. So the Vendée Globe, yeah, it's definitely a long-term goal for us. Um, I think for hopefully for for Tom as well, I'm pretty sure. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like to talk about it is it's very hard. You know, partly you have to, you have to say, okay, that's my dream. But then you know that there's so many stumbling blocks between you and achieving it that it's. You know, it's kind of scary to say that you want to do it. And finally, listeners will want to know the awful question, solo sailing, on your own all the time. And one has to be careful in saying it these days, but for a woman, particularly tough perhaps? I don't know if it's any tougher or easier. I don't know. I've never experienced it any other way. So I don't know if it's harder being a woman, being by yourself. I don't know, I think it depends very much on the person, what you know, how you use your own resources. Yeah, you know, I suppose technically, physically, it might be harder, but it's, um, you can use techniques and train and try and try and get around that. I don't know if there's that much difference between the, the men and the women on the race course. I don't know, maybe ask Tom's I opinion. It's being mentally strong, in it? And I don't, can't go anywhere. You never go near saying that men are stronger mentally than women. I almost say it's the other way around. So making tough decisions when you're very tired. 
It's a big, big, very big part of it. Tom Dolan and Joan Malloy. And the Vendée Globe, which Joan talked about, is the non-stop around-the-world race, a very big event indeed. And just imagine, as they were saying there, all alone, tired, possibly bad weather, knocking yourself in the boat about, and you have to make difficult decisions in which not alone how you get on in the race, but your very safety depends. A very tough sport with demanding conditions and of which they deserve, I think, much more recognition from the Irish national media than they get. The Irish Whale and Dolphin Group, after many years of searching, have found a breeding ground of Irish humpback whales, as Dr Simon Barrow tells us from their headquarters at Kilroish in County Clare. After 16 years of searching, the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group have located a breeding ground for humpback whales that feed in Irish waters. Humpback whales undergo one of the longest annual migrations of any animal on the planet travelling from rich feeding grounds at high latitudes, such as Ireland, to tropical breeding grounds near the equator. During a recent expedition to Cape Verde Islands off West Africa, the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group photographed a humpback whale, which had been seen four years previously off West Kerry. This is the first re-sighting of an individual humpback whale from Ireland to a known breeding ground. Humpback whales have been increasing in number in inshore Irish waters since the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group first started documenting them through photo identification in 1999. To date, 92 individual whales have been recorded from unique and permanent markings on their tail flukes and dorsal fins. These whales are not just passing through Irish waters, but are here for weeks and often months during the spring, summer and autumn. This research by the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group over the past 20 years has shown Ireland to be an increasingly important site for humpback whales, but until now we had never established where they braid. Over 16 years ago in 2003, the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group sailed to the Cape Verde Islands, an archipelago of 10 islands around 500 kilometres west of Senegal, just 1,500 kilometres above the equator. We felt this was the most likely origin of humpback whales in Ireland, but the Cape Verde humpback whale population numbers only around 300 individuals and has not recovered from years of whaling in the 18th and 19th centuries. Although we found humpback whales non-matched to those photographed in Ireland, we went back in 2006, we went back in 2011 and 2012, and more recently in 2014, but still no luck. Despite capturing images of over a hundred individual humpback whales during these expeditions, none of these whales had been seen in Ireland. But on a chance excursion to Santa Monica off the southwest tip of Boa Vista during a two-week expedition to Sal Ray in April 2019, we struck lucky. Two whales surfaced near the research boat towards the end of a day trip. Both whales were photographed, and one of these whales was the same individual whale photographed off West Kerry in 2015 by Nick Massett. This discovery raises issues on how we use this important finding to enhance the conservation status of this endangered humpback whale population. Those responsible for marine conservation in Ireland will have to build relationships with and provide assistance to the Cape Verde government in their efforts to protect this critically endangered and important breeding ground. Find out more on this discovery, including a video story on iwdg.ie. This is Dr. Simon Barrow of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group for This Island Nation.
And the comparison between the humpback seen off the Irish coast and the Cape Verde is fascinating. We'll have the photographs from the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group and Simon Barrow on our Facebook page. Next, Justin Marr has a roundup of other maritime news from the Irish coast and overseas. A row has broken out between Ireland and Scotland over fishing rights around the uninhabited islet of Rockall. The Scottish Government has said it will take enforcement action against Irish vessels found fishing within 12 miles of Rockall. Ownership of Rockall has long been a source of dispute between the Irish and UK authorities, but Irish fishing vessels regularly fish in the area. The UK claimed Rockall in 1955, but Ireland, Iceland and Denmark have previously challenged that claim. The Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Michael Creed, described the Scottish Government's comments as unwarranted. However, the Scottish Government said a recent increase in activity from Irish vessels around Rockall had prompted the move. A marine garden containing almost 30,000 cubic litres of Atlantic seawater and brimming with sea life from different types of seaweeds to fish species native to Irish waters has been named the overall winner of the concept garden category at Bloom 2019. The Bordishkiwara-sponsored garden, Aquamarine, supported by the European Maritime and Fisheries Fund, was designed by wife and husband team Liat and Oliver Sherman and highlights the need to protect Ireland's marine environment against plastic waste. The fish species and water were returned to the sea after bloom ended, and all of the materials used in the garden were salvaged or recycled and will be reused. The garden was designed to highlight the problems of plastics in our oceans as part of the Clean Oceans Initiative that was launched by the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Michael Creed, earlier this year. Dozens of new protected areas have been designated in the seas around England's coastline, the British government has announced. The 41 new marine conservation zones range from the coast of Northumberland, designated to protect elder ducks, to seas south of the Isles of Scilly, which support seabirds, fish and basking sharks. Other species that could benefit from the new wave of protection include the rare stalked jellyfish, short-snouted seahorse and blue mussel beds. The newly designated protected areas cover 12,000 square kilometres of England seas, an area almost eight times the size of London. The birth of an underwater volcano in the Indian Ocean is thought to have caused a succession of mysterious quakes around the world throughout last year. Short bursts of seismic activity were picked up by seismic sensors up to 10,000 miles away from the location of the submarine volcano near the French island of Mayotte. The mountain's birth triggered a series of earthquakes which were felt daily by locals on the island and further afield by experts using seismographs. Researchers at France's National Centre for Scientific Research wanted to clarify the origin of the small quakes which shook the island, located between Africa and Madagascar. According to the French Geological and Mining Research Bureau, the team discovered a new submarine volcano situated 50 kilometres away. The map of the sea floor, made by the ship's multi-beam sonar, indicates that as much as 5 cubic kilometres of magma erupted onto the sea floor. The sonar also detected plumes of bubble-rich water rising from the centre and flanks of the volcano. The study is expected to be published in the journal Nature at an unspecified date.
The University of Southampton and the UK National Oceanography Centre have completed a study which has concluded that abnormal waves appear to be occurring less often but are becoming more extreme. It's the first study of its kind in which oceanographers and engineers examined long-term data from 15 wave buoys along the west coast of the United States to assess trends in significant wave heights and the frequency of rogue wave events over a period of more than 20 years. Finally, it took decades of struggling with the weather on a small desolate island off the Antarctic Peninsula, but now scientists have finally unearthed the heaviest known elasmosaur, an ancient aquatic reptile that swam the seas of the Cretaceous period alongside the dinosaurs. The animal would have weighed as much as 15 tons, and it is now one of the most complete ancient reptile fossils ever discovered in Antarctica. Justin Marr reporting. Now, summertime is here, though the vagaries of the weather patterns are causing plenty of discussion, as always, about the weather. And what will the summer be like? Whenever the opportunity provides itself, people head for the beaches to swim, and that's where care is needed. From their headquarters in Galway, John Leach, Chief Executive of Water Safety Ireland, recommends swimming and water safety classes. Water Safety Ireland's roots reach back to the late 1930s where a number of responsible individuals around the country who are capable swimmers started teaching groups of children to swim to help prevent them from drowning. They delivered these swimming classes to members of the public at beaches, lake shores, river banks and outdoor swimming pools. In 1945, the government decided to support and formalise this training and so the Water Safety Section of the Red Cross was established. Water safety and swimming was also being delivered by the Red Cross in many other European countries at this time. There are now very few developed countries in the world teaching swimming and water safety at these open water sites. With the advent of indoor heated swimming pools, the vast majority of people learn how to swim in them. What is interesting is that it is a rare occurrence when somebody drowns in an indoor heated swimming pool. On the other hand, on average, 127 people drown each year in open water sites. So we recommend that children take part in our swim weeks, which commence in a few weeks' time when the children finish up in school and take off on their summer holidays. These swimming and water safety classes take place in most counties in Ireland during the months of July and August. They normally run for a week at a time and the children are examined at the end of each week and are graded according to their competency, strength and fitness. We recommend that children undergo these classes as it builds their water confidence and water safety awareness and helps reduce the number of drownings each year. In our coastal counties, we request that fishermen be aware and cognizant of these classes, some of which take place in small fishing ports and harbours on our island nation. Details of the classes are available on the Water Safety Ireland website. Many of the children who undergo these classes go on to become lifeguards, swim teachers and others take part in the sport of lifesaving, competing at national and international competitions. 
There are also the obvious physical and mental benefits from uh, completing these classes, as well as making friends for life with our counterparts each summer. So until next month, enjoy your aquatic activities and always wear a life jacket on or near the water and use your influence to further reduce the number of drownings on our island nation. John Leach, Chief Executive of Water Safety Ireland. And before we end, I just have to refer to an email sent by a fisherman following the Rockall Row. Turbot is a highly prized fish for its delicate flavour, a flat fish, very meaty and very tasty and much in demand. He said to me, did you know that turbot is known by another name in Old English? It's called a brat. No further comment. <laughs> that ends this edition of This Island Nation on community radio stations around Ireland and produced at CRY 104FM Yall on the East Cork coastline. It's broadcast with technical supervision by Justin Marr in Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South. On Dondok FM, Athlone Community Radio, in Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM, Clare on Radio Cockaboshkeen, in Kilkenny on Kilkenny City Community Radio, Limerick on West Limerick 102 FM, Cork City Community Radio and West Cork Gateway FM Band and Podcasts on iTunes, Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify and the Marinetimes.ie. And there's a special edition for the visually impaired listeners in association with the National Council for the Blind. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime Community on Community Radio. And you can contact the programme on email to thisislandnation at gmail.com or by phone or text to 0872 555 197. That's email thisislandnation at gmail.com, phone or text 0872 555 197. And there's a weekly blog on Facebook. Until our next programme, from me, Tom McSweeney, the usual wish of fair sailing. <laughs>